Welcome to the Design the Future podcast, where we talk with women leading the way towards a better built world. Design the Future is hosted by me, Lindsay Baker, with Kira Gould. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Design the Future podcast. It's good to be with you again. This is Lindsay. And this is Kira. And yeah, here we are. Here we are. Another day. Another another wonderful time with you, Kira. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Busy, busy week. Um, you know, lots going on. I think everything is back up to full speed post-holiday. I feel like the break never happened. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It it is, it has been really busy. Although this reminds me, okay, I haven't planned this, but I I kind of want to read this poem that that's this um this adrian marie brown poem that i've been sharing with a few people recently I, I, okay i don't think this is too long but it's this amazing thing about being busy can i do this is this going to be too much of course okay. how lovely okay um it's just been such an inspiration for me recently it's called not busy focused not busy full and it's by adrian marie brown and you can find it on her website uh, this is a poem or a reset. You keep telling me, you know, I am so busy, but dot, dot, dot. And then you ask me for something. And I want you to know I am not busy. No, with all of these boundaries, I have space to write, to take care of my body, to hold my loves tightly in many, many hands so we can somehow make it through the rest of our lives. I am so focused on the imaginary world, which is trying to whisper to me how to write a story that unlocks a heart, to write a spell that makes us bored with punishment and immune to capitalism. I'm so full of ancestors and characters and I can't tell which is who, but they are a chorus telling me humans are not the protagonists and nothing I can say is more brilliant than a stand of trees or a mycelial warning or a newborn's first shuddering dance or the grace of the blue heron in lustful prance across this pond or the continuous sky flood and always somewhere storming. And when the clouds are full with pending storm, they are quiet. So I am studying that quiet so I can hold that storm. And when, river, when the riverbanks flood, the soil forgets it is earth and goes flying through the water and finds a new purpose in the deep. Or maybe, maybe even the vast ocean isn't every stream, a bodhisattva. Didn't Lao Tzu know it is humble to become the vastness beneath I was running so fast and trying so hard, but what I forgot was the wonder. Now my body aches to remember when I was busy, when I was so capitalist in my anti-capitalism, that is to say, so productive in my revolutionary performance. But now I am not busy. I am breathing. I am moving at the pace my body allows, ever forward, mentored by a tortoise. I am balancing my vibrant intentions with my bemused body, bones of betrayal, bruised by the busy I once thought was my worth. Now I know my body is the sliver of earth I've been given. I am healing from the extraction I thought gave me value from the toxins I thought of as solace. The freedom I can experience is from the traumatic past and the dystopic future into the miraculous now in which I can still find moments of respite, moments to water the garden of my home, to skim the news, stopping only to witness and feel the heartache and longing. The beauty of being so connected is that my boundless love has a field without horizon. My heart can gallop on, loving all the people experiencing and shaping humanity without end. I hope to never be busy again, 
I hope I owe this quiet breath to my grandmother. I am creating at an astounding rate and some of it I even write down. Some moments I get so still I can sense how it is all connected and that the tissue is love. And I know my love could never be wasted or too small a contribution. I say yes when love leads. I say yes when there's enough time to do it well. And sometimes even then I am not there because life showed me another way to love and it was irresistible. The end. Wow, Lindsay. I just love it so much. I love this idea of telling people because I know you get that too. I get it all the time. Like, I know you're really busy, but can you do this thing? And it's just this reminder, you know, like about being what it means to be busy and why we say that to each other. And I, I love this idea of aiming more for being focused and full and not worrying about like, you know, just not using that word. So, yeah, anyway. it's really interesting. There's so many bits of that, that, you know, that, sorry, it's kind of long. I <laughs> love it. Love it. No, I, I'm, I loved studying that quiet and um, yeah, so many things in there gave me a little shiver of recognition and appreciation and all of that. So um, yeah, what a great way to start today, Lindsay. Yeah, good. I'm glad it was really, I don't know. It's funny. It's been a part of a few little moments in my life recently. So I'm glad that I, that it very randomly occurred to me to share it with, with this, this crew. I hope it inspires you. It's, um, and you know, she's wonderful. If you don't follow her, I guess we talk about her sometimes on the podcast. So no surprise. Good stuff. Well, it's really important. And I think it's really a, a big thing. We don't talk about it too much on the show, but that whole, I don't know. I do wonder sometimes, what are we so busy doing? Exactly. You know, <laughs> like I just, I, I mean, I, I feel like a satisfying busy day is one where I've had more of the focus um, and less of the frenetic. And I, I don't know, I, I need to, I want more of that. I don't, I, I feel like that's such a never ending quest in the way that the world works. We have to really, and you have to really cultivate it in whatever it is you're doing. And like, move away from groups or organizations that don't let you do that, right? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. And, and I think it's also, it's, it gets to these questions we talk about in the podcast sometimes about finding the work that you really like to, to yeah. do, you know, because I think for everybody that's different. Um, what makes you feel focused and full to someone else might feel like busy work and, you know, yep. and, and that's okay. So you get to decide what that is for yourself and then, and then go for it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, and you are in a, a situation now where you're, you know, leading an organization and you have an opportunity to really help contribute to an overall culture. Um, and that's a really interesting place to be, which, and maybe our guest will have something to say about that too. Oh, uh, yes. I, I know. She will. Yeah, totally. I, I, I will say I'm, I'm really enjoying and hope that you all will enjoy that, that um, we're going to start hearing from more leaders of organizations in the coming months. Um, maybe just because it's something I'm thinking about, but probably more because my new role has given me this opportunity to meet some amazing people. And um, so our guest for today, Gina Saganek, is one of those people. Welcome, Gina. Hello, Lindsay, and hello, Kira. And thank you for having me on. And I have to say, Lindsay, that was a great poem. I feel so grounded and, and uh, just my head is in a different space now. So thank you for that. 
Oh, well, I'm so glad and I'm so glad that we have you with us today. Um, I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. So just for those that don't know Gina, Gina is um, the CEO of the Healthy Building Network. So she's been growing and scaling HBN's vision since assuming the CEO role in uh, 2016. She previously served as senior advisor for the housing innovation establishing and leading the Home Free Initiative and an expansion of uh, HBN's healthy materials work into the affordable housing sector, which she'll talk more about her background therein. She is a recognized uh, national leader in transforming human and environmental health through strategic partnerships, innovative business practices, capacity building, and novel approaches. A champion of equity and environmental justice, Gina is an innovator with a proven track record of creating leading edge, nationally recognized, sustainable spaces where we live, work, and play. She was also named as a fin to Finance and Commerce's Top Women in Finance, and in 2021 received a Women in Sustainability Leadership Award. Um, so many accomplishments and accolades, and we're just excited for you to be here. Um, so you want to just get started by telling us a little bit about you, Gina, about how you got involved in, in healthy buildings and the sustainable buildings industry in general. Just tell us about your path. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, the, the original plan when I was exiting high school was my plan was to be a world famous interior designer. I was uh, growing up in a small iron mining town in northern Minnesota, and I spent a lot of uh, time during my teen years reading Architectural Digest. So I saw my future as being an amazing designer. Um, I, I started to venture down that path. I went to the University of Minnesota a long, long time ago in their interior design program and very quickly learned that I spent many, many hours hand lettering title blocks at a drafting table since computers weren't really available at the time and many hours in fabric rooms. Um, I, after a few years became disillusioned because I didn't realize that was part of a world famous interior designers path. Uh, so I, I talked to my advisor saying, wait, I didn't, I didn't know my fingers would be so sore and 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 full of lead from all this drying. And she said, you know, you you might think about our housing um, degree. And I had no idea what that meant, but I thought I'm going to give it a try. And the first class I took to test it out was a class called Community and the Environment, where we were all young students sent out in Minneapolis neighborhoods to evaluate amenities and housing stock and crime and the quality of schools and public transportation and understanding the demographics and really painting pictures of communities and seeing pretty clearly patterns where there were haves and have nots. Um, I really love this idea of design on a grand scale at the neighborhood level and at cities levels at with the environment social systems. I thought a lot about how to support and improved overlooked communities, and I thought that was a better space for me to move forward in design and uh, had an amazing professor and an influencer and Professor Ed Getz at the time. And I immediately changed my major and found 
a bunch of wayward interior designers and architects that also recognized that was their space. So really that was the trajectory that took me into this idea of the built environment, did a little stint in local government, my first job in their community development department, and jumped into affordable housing then as a nonprofit. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. Um, and so spent two decades developing and redeveloping thousands of new and rehabbed units. And I realized that the built environment was causing significant harm. As much as I develop units for formerly homeless youth or many other populations that were being marginalized, wow, I knew that we had to get a lighter footprint. And so I spent years then using the different green building standards and trying to figure out energy and water and, and all the other things that make better buildings. And that's really how I landed in the space I'm in today um, in this bigger sort of thinking of myself as a designer on a, a grander scale. Tina, I love that, uh, the arc that you sort of described there. Um, I particularly love that it's not just that you wanted to be an interior designer, you wanted to be a world famous one. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but it's it's terrific that you found, you know, that path into housing and, um, and then all the way to Healthy Building Network. Um, I just, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, about working in nonprofits and what what people should know about that world, um, if it's something that they would, you know, consider, because it's it's not really familiar to everyone. Excellent question, and I have to be honest. When my move way back in the '90s from local government, and somebody told me about this little nonprofit that I ended up at for 20 years, um, was this? I, I didn't know what a nonprofit meant, and back then I was wondering: Do they pay people? Do they even have computers? What is this? So I, I, I had that own my my own moment of that, and and I've realized over time I've spent, you know, conversations uh, myth busting. It, it is sort of a mystery, and I do talk about it now as it's another it's a, it's a form of business as much as for profits are or B corps. Um, just as you have in all of those business structures, uh, businesses that run stronger and have key performance indicators and have a more robust plan, and then you have other ones that are less focused and less rigorous. And so sometimes nonprofits are seen as you know, do-gooders that don't have MBAs and aren't thinking about those same sort of uh, skills around business planning. And I would say, you know, that's, that's one thing about it, that it's not as mysterious. It's, it's just really a different um, business. And the focus, of course, the big thing is it's mission-based, that it's less about or not about making the, the CEO or principals or the leaders rich. It is really about meeting a vision and a mission and pouring your work into um, an end result that improves whatever your mission is, and in our case, the, the people on the planet. 
Um, I would also add, I don't know that people understand that, at least in the businesses and in the, in the work I've been doing, there's a ton of innovation. So if you are an innovator, you love creative problem solving and big, gnarly, tough problems, it is a, a place for you. You know, an example of that is take real estate, you know, all real estate projects have challenges, you know, from local government and financing and all kinds of things. However, you know, there is a difference between building a great market rate building and just trying to figure out how high can I pump the rent so that I can have the mortgage pay for it and end up with a profit. That's one method of, you know, building real estate, but it's a whole nother game when you're residents you're going to serve our formerly homeless youth and they may not have much of a job if any when they enter you know a new uh home a new space you've created for them so what does that pro forma look like what does that support system look like what does that um you know what does that look like on your on your budget and so you do have to you know, figure out how to make all these things work that typical market, typical process could never figure out. Um, and finally, I would say that I've also found that, you know, we talk about whether it's natural resources or all kinds of things that are scarce. I always say money is a scarce resource. And at some point in time, just throwing money at problems to solve them without really understanding who has access to that solution or whether over time it can be more affordable for others. Throwing money at a problem like that, it inhibits creativity really and erodes equity. And so when you're in the nonprofit space, you often have tighter budgets and tighter resources than many. And so you have to be a super, super creative problem solver that could end up being a scaled solution for really all the built environment. That's such an interesting way of looking at it. And really, um, I think it sort of reframes the notion of what's happening in nonprofits in a certain sense. Um, thank you for that characterization. Um, we have a question that we like to ask our guests, uh, and that is, what are you most proud of accomplishing in your work life? It could be anything. Oh, that is a that is a great question. Um, of course, you know, I would have to say and people would expect me to say some of the the developments in the homes and the and the places I've created and the lives um, that I've impacted for formerly homeless youth or other people who have struggled with homelessness or otherwise um, an issue in their lives that created a hardship. So I, I do think about the people that have been affected um, through the work I've done in the past. Um, I think about all the teams and the people I've worked with the architects and designers and our own you know, development teams and you know some of the green the sustainable uh, solutions we've created that have been able to be scaled and were recognized on a national level so that's sort of a low you know a low-hanging fruit in terms of my accomplishments but where i'm 
really focused today is I moved into the work I'm doing now at Healthy Building Network, not so much to flee affordable housing or the, you know, the, the, the development aspect, but it was really because I learned on the last project I did called The Rose, um, which used the Living Building Challenge, Lindsay, as inspiration. I thought I was along the way doing some pretty amazing buildings in terms of sustainability. And then the rug, rug got pulled out from under me when I was realized the materials we were using were really problematic. And at the time we were registered back in 2011, 2012, whatever that was, um, my former role, we were the largest building registered um, by, uh, we were about 150,000 square feet and the next one was about 50,000 square feet. Uh, so we were really taking on a crazy challenge. Our goal was to manage the costs so that we could not inhibit creativity and erode equity. And the materials piece was, shockingly so far from my radar and most people's radar that I realized we, our attempt to think about healing and nurturing spaces was totally turned upside down because I was re realizing that we were um, poisoning many of the people living in the building uh, over time with these products that I thought the government or somebody was paying attention to and would have prohibited them. I, I will never forget the day the architect at MSR Architects, Reese, said to me, well, Gina, you know, the LVT, the luxury vinyl tile that we, the fake wood stuff we like to put down, had a chemical at the time that was already banned in kids' toys. And so they couldn't hold a little rattle with this thing, but they could crawl across a thousand square feet in a unit I was building that was supposed to be healthy. And I'll never forget how at that moment I was like, well, I would, why would I do that? Why would I not, why would I not understand this at this point in my career? And what are the alternatives? And it was shocking to me how little was kind of known and shared. There wasn't a lot of transparency back then. And I immediately became engaged with, we have to solve this. If we want a healthy community and, and healthy systems and, and knowing that the lowest income populations and people of color are the most disproportionately impacted, I had to figure this out. I had to become a part of this um, effort to, 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 to figure it out and make sure that it was accessible. I don't love chemistry either. I never did good in that. Um, and I didn't know even what these chemicals meant. And so translating it became kind of a passion for me so that everybody could make better decisions. So I'm super proud of sort of 
this accomplishment of really jumping out of a 20 year career where I kind of knew what I was mostly doing. I was speaking, I was having, I, I knew, I knew the work. I, I was an expert. I, I was asked for my advice on many things. And then I jumped into this world that was honestly really a whole different world environmental health and public health and science and toxicologists. Um, it was almost, you know, my, I, my identity was shaken, I would say, when I first moved into um, this world. So being able to to move through this moment, to be able to be recognized and um, asked to, you know, become the CEO of this amazing organization that Bill Walsh founded in 2000 and was doing great work. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of see it as a, I, I'm a chief translator of this work now and um, being able to have the courage to stick with it when it felt scary or that I was an imposter in this moment because I don't have PhD at the end of my my name. Um, so I feel I feel really proud of of making a, a transition and being uh, and contributing now in this space. Gina, I am so I think that's such an inspiring story um, and and it's there's so much bravery in there too to make a big shift mid-career is you know really um it's there's it's a lot <laughs> it's just amazing the way you and hearing you describe how that role feels um but i think also this is a good time we should take a quick minute to let you describe maybe in more detail the mission and the role of healthy building network so that some because some of our listeners may not be intimately familiar. So if you would just give us a little bit more about what the organization is and does. Yeah, absolutely. So we we have a, a great vision. We have this big vision that you know we are part of an ecosystem to, to actually try to achieve this. But it, our vision is that all people and the planet thrive when the environment is free of toxic chemicals. And when we say all, that doesn't mean some or only certain zip codes, or it doesn't mean it's, you know, 20% better, but we have this vision of a thriving people and planet. And our work is really centered around advancing environmental health um, by improving hazardous chemical transparency and inspiring product innovation. Most people know us for our work around building products because that has been our that has been an expertise that we have created and advised on and provided guidance around that for many, many years. Other folks, a smaller number, know us in the realm of green chemistry. We have a, a software program, a platform called Pharos that is actually agnostic to sector and it's more about um, it's a ha chemical hazards platform where whether you're in electronics or food packaging or beauty and personal care, you can find out information about um, whether or not chemicals and products are problematic on, on a number of fronts. So, you know, in, in summary, we, we do research and, and guidance around um, green chemistry and 
products and building products has been a, a big center of that work for a very, very long time. We advise on many of the standards, whether it's LEED or WELL or um, Living Building Challenge and uh, enterprise green communities. We do lots of different reports, really understanding, you know, not just at the use case, but what happens in the process of making it and the fence line communities. And um, we really understand in a deep level the harms that products and chemicals are causing and then provide guidance for what can you do about it. Yeah, and I just have to say I've been such a fan of HBN for a long time, and so it's been it's it's your the, the legacy is incredible, and the work that has been done in the past has been just so uh, impactful to the world. So thank you for it, and um, and also we want to know about what you're working on now. I've had the ability to learn a little bit more about um, your more recent work, but. Do you want to talk about any of the stuff that's particularly, uh, you know, hot topics for you? Yeah, we are really excited about um, some of the work we have been piloting in our Home Free program. Our Home Free program is a community of practice around the uh, the affordable housing community to. Uh, shape and select uh, safer materials for that sector and making sure that everybody has access to this because if we can solve it in the affordable housing space, then everybody can participate. So we have had them testing our most translated product guidance which is, uh, some people call it our, we call it a hazard spectra. It's a list of red to green, red being the worst, green, the, green being the best product types within certain categories. It's not based on specific manufacturers or specific products, which the um, HPD and Declare Labels and many of others really take it to that level of well, this specific product by this manufacturer. Our research starts from this idea of product types and should be thought about and known about way in the early stages. So, you know, an analogy I like to give is we all kind of learned young about the food pyramid. We knew as kids, even without reading labels, even though I love labels and all the stuff they do in the food side of things and the more testing, et cetera, that they do on, on things in that sector. But we all kind of had a general knowledge of where candy fell on that list. Candy, you know, was not in the same realm as spinach and apples. We all kind of knew going in the grocery store walking along the perimeter, you'd have a better chance of picking healthier items than you would in the candy aisle. Now we still might buy some candy sometimes, but we not, we're not confused. So think of walking through a Home Depot or working on your specs. There isn't the same sort of general understanding, again, based in science, so not not fluffy, but based in science of where is the candy aisle in Home Depot? 
because we all know on the food analogy that I don't care what candy bar you pick, even if it had a raisin or a little bit of coconut or an almond in it, it is still not going to rank anywhere near spinach or an apple. And so we are working on some guidance to literally screen the built environment to give everybody easy access, easy understanding based in science about these product types. The reality is if you pick a product that's in the red zone, like SPF insulation or you know certain vinyl floors, and we look at it again from a holistic, you know, uh, manufacturer and you know sourcing all the way for use or end of life, you will never get a declare label that says it's awesome <laughs> because of what's in that. So um, transparency, as we all know, has been growing, and we love the manufacturers who are who are giving information. We love the programs that are helping to translate the specific products, but there still is the reality that over 90% of products in the market still have no guidance. So what do you do when there isn't declare labels, when there isn't disclosure, when there isn't this transparency? HBM believes we can, we can within the next three years with the right, in, with the right resources, so we have some fundraising to do, but we can disclose the entire built environment so nobody has to have a moment of, oh darn, there isn't, there isn't a disclosure record um, somewhere that tells me what's in it. Everybody can make good decisions and be able to, we tend to say, take steps up, stay out of the red product types. If you can do yellow and above, you'll pretty much go past the red list chemicals that, you know, some uh, groups use or the six classes of chemicals that are purported to be the worst, um, according to Green Science Policy Institute. And and others. So we do think we will be able to reveal a set of data based on the interior information we have right now on the interior products and have a data set that we've never been able to work from um, ever in the built environment because it's been such a mystery. Yeah, I, I want to just, I'm so excited about this project. I also want to just um, mention to everybody that you can view a little bit of what that looks like already on on the webs on their website um and i encourage everybody to check it out because i think it's really cool the way you're presenting the data and just how how simple it is um to navigate because that's what I, I love this so much i mean i was thinking about it as you were talking when family members and things ask me questions about how you know what choices they should make in their own homes about materials you know products and things that they buy they never really ask about that specific decision further on down the road about you know specifically what product to buy but they I do get a lot of questions from just you know I guess we would call them lay people saying like what um is is it better to get uh window coverings that are made out of wood or plastic you know <laughs> like those kinds of things or is it which one is the, which one's better is it you know curtains or Venetian blinds right like people want to know and that and, and that is the kind of information that we can all kind of absorb and learn and and use in our daily lives um people in the building industry you know as you mentioned from sort of earlier in the process as well as 
it's just everybody. It's it's that totally that food pyramid stuff. So I I love it, and I'm excited to be able to use it and potentially refer my family members to that when they ask me good questions and I don't know the answer. Awesome. <laughs> so thank you. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, so we could talk more about that, but I want to make sure we have enough time to talk, you know, more broadly about your vision and the role that HBN is playing in the shifts that happen, that need to happen in, in the building industry. So uh, I wanna ask you this question, but I don't know, I always enjoy hearing people's thoughts about um, this, about being a, in, in, in the industry and in a movement. So do you, do you feel like you are a part of an industry? Do you feel like you're a part of, the, of a movement? How do you situate yourself in that, in that landscape? Yeah, I love this question. I've heard you ask other guests this before. So I've actually pondered this here and there because I thought, what, what, how would I? You know, I, I look at it from a different frame these days that I, I sometimes would say I'm part of the industry and I always would say I'm part of a movement and I have people I work with in industry and, and I would say they're part of the movement. Maybe they wouldn't even call themselves that. But I think of it in the terms of you're either proactively working on solutions to these big things, to climate, to toxics, to racism, to a lot of the different things that were that, that are getting in the way and that are harming certain people more than others and benefiting. So I see it as a frame of you're, you're actively solving that or you're harming, quite frankly. And harming could be more you're just kind of continuing on with what's been the system or the practice so more of a like silence or 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 you're actively doing bad stuff for whatever reason um so i do see myself in the realm of solving i think a lot these days about healing um in so many different ways so over the arc of my my trajectory when people are asking me what are you doing now and what in chemicals I really think of it more as design on a bigger scale healing on a bigger scale you know in the public health realm and we're all solving and so maybe that means the movement that it's it's really trying to solve these really hard wicked problems yeah, I love that idea of what it means to be a part of a movement that it's sort of designed at a larger scale. I think that there's, I don't know, I'm going to take that with me and mull over that because I kind of love the idea. Um, but also, yeah, I think that's a great way to think about it. I've, I've been talking to more people recently who have felt a little bit like uh, a little bit less engaged in, in, you know, sustainability and health work recently, but they used to feel engaged. And I like this idea. It's like, well, you know, are you work? Are you, are you solving? Are you solving right now? Are you doing something? You know, maybe it's not, maybe it doesn't feel as um, obvious as a LEED certification or something, but um, I, I love that. Um, well, yeah. So, so speaking of that type of momentum, um, where did you think we would be? Uh, by the year 2022 as a as a community of people working on on the you know on environmental health and the built environment etc how, how are we doing uh, good question again um you know i always think things are going to happen faster than 
<laughs> I actually do. <laughs> me too. Me too. Good to so, know. <laughs> guilty as charged. So, but I, I do recognize that. I there are a lot of things I think we're doing really well as a you know built environment sector and as a system, and we've made. You know, we used to freak out when lead first came out. Oh, my God, are we going to even how are we going to do this? And we all, you know, got over it and did it. And then the, there's there's other standards and the living building challenge and others came out. So I, I just think we it, we all just work towards that in a way today that felt impossible, you know, 10, 15 years ago and was more, more costly back then. So I would applaud progress and in, in, in you know sort of stepping back in the balcony and I would even say you know from 20 you know 10 12 13 14 ish you know the progress we've even made on transparency and disclosures and even thinking about building products as something that actually affects our health we always knew you are what you eat but I think people are getting more used to you are what surrounds you, especially post pandemic, but just, you know, the things you touch and smell and, you know, you walk into so many of those construction buildings, you'd be like, what's that smell? And we never thought, should I be smelling this? And what am I not smelling? That's actually harming me too. And what's absorbing in my body. So I, I'm excited about the movement we've been making as an industry. Um, on this front, I think it's slower and I think there's a real opportunity to uh, accelerate it now. Um, so yeah, I, I want to do more and <laughs> and I would still give a bunch of people high fives. Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> I don't, that's, that's a great answer. I feel like I, uh, I don't know. I mean, all of the answers are good, but I also think it sounds like me. <laughs> Like, yeah, I, I would give a fair number of high fives, but also I, yeah, um, I don't know. My, my vision was a little further along. Um, well, okay, specifically, are there areas where you think we should have made more progress by now in the world of, you know, buildings and their sort of impact, social health, et cetera? Are there, are there things that you've been disappointed that we haven't made more progress on? It, it would be in this area of materials and toxics and exposures for sure. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I saw the Guardian article that came out yesterday saying now we've passed the boundary in this realm of, you know, so much burden on the environment and our bodies. So uh, I'm, I'm sort of reeling from that. But there's a path. There's a really important path. And I often, you know, talk to different folks now who are in the climate realm or embodied and uh, carbon and um, getting more acknowledgement that we're not going to solve all the climate and all the other issues if we're not understanding the, the product realm of this work uh, from a health embodied carbon circularity. And so bringing these things into one conversation, which feels impossible because it's so big in so many ways, but we have to understand and, and tackle the toxics realm and we have solutions for it. So we're ready to merge those silos.
You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I actually think that is something that a lot of people feel really a little bit stressed about right now. They're like, wait, I can't care about emissions and health at the same time, right? Like it's very, the, the, the need to unify those is really putting a lot of pressure on people in terms of just capacity. It does seem overwhelming. Um, and so I think the work that you're doing and, and you know, consistently unifying those topics and others um, is so important. Um, and I want to close, we have a last question we like to ask our guests um, with uh, who are you most inspired by these days um, in terms, this could be leaders or really anyone, anyone at all. Yeah, I would have to say, this is actually an easy one. There is a program out there called the Agents of Change in Environmental Health and Justice that Ami Zota, Dr. Ami Zota uh, from George Washington University leads. And it's a cohort of emerging leaders in the science and environmental health, public health realm from underrepresented um, populations. So they are, they do podcasts, they do, they write, they, you know, talk about issues from their points of view. And I am so energized by young leaders, amazing, uh, this, this cohort of agents of change that I follow <laughs> all of them. I've met some of them. One of them is on my board now. Um, so I have so much gratitude for, um, Dr. Zota and and these young amazing folks that are dealing with this world that we're leaving behind for them to deal with. So that's where my energy and appreciation and, and focus is on that group. So if you haven't checked them out, check out the Agents of Change and Environmental Health and Justice. Uh, that is a great one. Thank you so much for that, Dina. And and yeah, it is inspiring just to hear you talk about it. Um, and yeah, inspiring just to hear you talk about your journey and, and all the work you all are doing. So thank you so much for being with us. This has been awesome. Thank you. I've loved this, this, uh, this time together. I'm still reflecting on the poem you started us mm -hmm. out with, and that will um, continue throughout my day. So thank you both for all your amazing work. And I look forward to partnering with you and many others um, as we continue this journey together. Oh, thank you. We are, I'm excited about it. Does it, It's just, it's one of those nice reminders. That's one of the best, one of the best things about the struggle that we're in with all of the people that we get to hang out with along the way. So absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, and thanks everyone uh, for listening. That's it for us this week on the Design the Future podcast. Uh, please leave us a review on Apple. It really matters. It helps people find us. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.